Hello and welcome back into Big Red Huddle. Today we're going to talk all things signing day. We also had Matt Rule's press conference on Wednesday, which provided some good information, some juicy nuggets there. We are going to get into a few uh, Nebraska basketball topics, a rough week for the boys on the hardwood. Uh, do have some uh, some good things to look forward to as the, as the schedule loosens up. Uh, and then we'll finish up the show with uh, a couple of national storylines. Obviously, we have the Super Bowl coming up tomorrow, so we'll provide our our prediction as everyone else is doing. And so with that, let's let's huddle up and get into the the information. So this past Wednesday was our traditional signing day. Uh, only two really notable new signings that took place this last week, um, which is really interesting. If you go back and listen to last week's edition, we, we really thought the roster at that point in time was pretty well solidified. Uh, we had started to move forward towards spring balls, uh, winter conditioning, and things of that nature. A couple things happened, though, last weekend that really changed, changed some things. And so the biggest name, um, or the biggest name from an addition perspective, Kiona Wilhite, a defensive line, really an edge rusher out of Tucson, Arizona, 6'5", 240 pounds, anywhere from a three, four-star, depending on what service you follow. His story is really interesting. He, or really interesting. he committed to Arizona uh, last summer, uh, later committed this fall, and flipped to Washington, actually signed his national letter of intent with Washington in December. If you go back and listen to Kalen DeBoer's uh, Signing day press conference in December is extremely high on Will Height and how he projects in the Big Ten. As everybody knows by now, Kellen uh, DeBoer ultimately takes the Alabama job, leaves Washington. Uh, Keona Will Height opens up his recruitment. Uh, Washington lets him out of his national letter of intent. Uh, and that's really where Nebraska took advantage of an opportunity. There was an established relationship there from over the summer. Um, Kiona visited Michigan State, um, also Nebraska, during this winter period. He had visited UCLA over the summer, so it was really came down to those three schools. When we recorded last week, um, several crystal balls, projections, right, whatever you want to look at, had uh, Kiona going to UCLA. Um, after that occurred, rumors started to come out about Chip Kelly interviewing for NFL OC jobs, which we talked about last week, coincidentally enough. And so as you think about Keona's situation, he was with her. He, he committed to Arizona. Arizona's coach is now at Washington. He committed to Washington. Washington coach is now at Alabama. Um, as he was approaching UCLA, you started to have those rumors of Chip Kelly moving to the NFL. And so really the stability at Nebraska with Matt Rule um, and Knighton uh, really is what probably I think at the end drew uh, Keona Wilhite to Nebraska. Um, I've heard him referred to as like a make room type of prospect. Uh, you've got, we go back to last week, we talked about the numbers. We were at 149 on the roster holistically from a scholarship distribution chart, right? Which ebbs and flows probably around 95 to 100. Um, but, but this is just a guy that if he's available, you, you've got to make room for him. He's really the, the only um, true edge rusher in this class. And so, um, and he's also a bigger edge rusher, which I like because as we um, are starting to learn more and more and have seen a full season now of this 3-3-5, three, three, 
you need those guys up front to be of of the bigger bigger variety and so um he he'll, he'll, he's not a nose by any means he's, he's more of that end um in a three three five maybe early on in his career he could be in a jack role but i think he's really destined for that end um end position so really excited about kiona wilhite um kind of a late addition off many people's radar several weeks ago and kind of a steal there at the end for nebraska then the second uh, big name was uh, Kamir Prescott, a 6'1 safety out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's a three-star prospect off of most services. Um, he actually visited last spring um, at Nebraska. He was one of the early um, prospects that Cooper, uh, Evan Cooper and Matt Rule really um, narrowed in on from a defensive back perspective in this class. But ultimately, he, he committed to Wisconsin uh, last spring. Uh, I think in the April time frame and had been a commitment all the way up until December 7th when um, he ultimately decommitted from Wisconsin and didn't sign anywhere in the early period. Not really clear what happened there. It's more it's been kind of communicated as a mutual parting of ways. Um, some thoughts out there is that maybe uh, it's grade related or admissions related into Wisconsin. It's 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 pretty tough to get into Wisconsin in comparison to some other schools. Obviously, I cannot confirm this. It's only speculation that I've seen some some national writers, but. Um, you know, I've also seen some say he's our 10th, which is remarkable to say, 10th defensive back prospect in this class. And some are saying that he could be the best of the group. Now, I think Buford's probably number one for me. Um, but Kamir Prescott, he's he's a hitter. He's he's aggressive. He comes down. He's not afraid for, afraid of contact. Probably is more of a true safety versus any type of cornerback um, or or nickel type of of DB. Um, but the biggest story for me with this commitment is again the powerful aspect that we have at Nebraska with our NIL and eighteen ninety specifically. This is a true walk on. Um, that's receiving NIL to assist with his t um, tuition uh, and other expenses. So he's not going to count against the 85, at least initially. But for all intents and purposes, he's a he's a scholarship-worthy athlete um, and just a really big steal late in, in the pros process for Nebraska. He's one that could hit the, hit the field early, either with special teams, um, probably not as a true safety, but... Um, I could see him playing special teams or at least getting up to uh, the four-game rule in, in 2024. So excited about about both of those late additions. So uh, several other walk-ons, traditional walk-ons signed last week um, on Wednesday. I'm not going to walk through those. Takes the roster much higher. Um, I, I, 151, I think, is what I saw recently. With some of the additional walk-ons that signed this last week, it could be closer to 155. Something we'll continue to monitor. Um, not, not anything that that's, you know, to get crazy over or, or have any anxiety about coaches will, will figure it out, but just something I enjoy tracking and just, you know, as the roster develops over the course of, um, winter and then ultimately into spring and summer. So let's transition then Wednesday, Matt rule held his, uh, national signing day press conference. He obviously spoke about those two prospects. Um, I don't want to get into that as much as some of the other juicy nuggets that I took from the press conference. Um, we have been talking on this podcast for the last several weeks around Glenn Thomas, the co-offensive coordinator and QB coach, um, what his influence in the offense would be, his influence with the quarterbacks, et cetera. 
And Matt Rule was very clear in his press conference on Wednesday that Marcus Satterfield is the OC. He's the leader of that room. He's the leader on that side of the ball. Um, he'll be call. He will be calling the plays. Um, Glenn Thomas is coming in as a collaborator. Obviously, a co-offensive coordinator will help in the day-to-day uh, development of of the play um, play calling and of of you know the the play development. But when it comes to game day, um, Marcus Satterfield is the true offensive coordinator. So, not that there was a lot of questions there, but whenever you give somebody a co-offensive coordinator title. Um, certainly a question that's you know needs to be needs to be asked and answered and I appreciate Matt Rule's straightforwardness when it comes to to that that answer and so um, I'm going to talk about uh, Glenn Thomas here in in our next um, bullet point here but continuing on Matt Rule's press conference um, from an individual player perspective there were really two two points that stuck out to me which were um, you know juicy if you want to use that vocabulary but I thought we're really telling first being uh, Jamal Banks the wide receiver transfer from Wake Forest Um, if you remember from last winter the staff creates this you know everything within the program is built around competition so they divide the team up into these these mini teams of anywhere from 8 to 12 individuals and they um, really compete on a day in and day out basis. They gain points based off of you know how how they're doing in the classroom, uh, different community service opportunities, going to other Husker sporting events, obviously the workouts, etc. And and um, Matt Rule is very clear that Jamal Banks is clear in in far ahead of anybody else on the team. He is setting the standard. Uh, for for the team holistically for a transfer to come in and make that type of impact in just two two or three weeks um, pretty remarkable and certainly something to be excited about but what was even um, if, if you delve deeper into his comments uh, Matt Rule's comments in in the press conference he talked about or he spoke about how last year's good um, or I'm sorry, last year's great is this year's good, right? So always raising the standard, raising the bar. Um, it's so far ahead from a culture perspective, an expectation perspective, both for the staff and the team of what the standard is at Nebraska. And when you have somebody at like Jamal Banks coming in and raising that standard, others around him are going to have to raise with him. Um, and so for me, that's exciting as we start to look at spring ball and then ultimately into the fall, um, because I think we all realize players included fans, obviously how close we were in those last four games of kind of getting over this hump. Um, Matt rule said it, we're a five and seven football team until we're not, um, but you go back and look at those last four games. And I don't want to rehash it, but you know we're a player two away from being eight and four. I mean that that's how close this team is. And so, if we can um, raise those standards and and do those little things now over the next seven months, should get you pretty excited as we approach spring ball and then ultimately August. And so then, kind of on the opposite side of that coin, um, he was asked about Micah Mazuka, and in his comments, you you could take him as um, somewhat troubling. I, I'm not taking them as troubling, but he pointed out that all of those things that Jamal Banks is doing, 
um, and, and, you know, setting that standard and, and taking good to great. Um, Mike Mazuka has a lot of, of opportunity to, to do those things. He needs to, um, you know, buy in, put forth that effort on and off the field. He's not going to be handed, uh, anything, no matter, you know, his 21 starts at the power five, um, probably the most talented offensive lineman and, and an ex- one of the more experienced offensive linemen we have in the program. He needs to do all these things in the offseason um, to earn that credibility, to earn that respect of his teammates, and then ultimately, you know, achieve that playing time. Now, take everybody back to last spring. We heard very similar comments about Anthony Grant, Tommy Hill. Um, in fact, both were suspended on day one of spring ball, if you recall. Tommy Hill turned out to be one of the the most important people on this team from a defensive back perspective. Um, Matt Rule just loves the guy, talks glowingly about him. Um, in the fall, uh, one of the more highly rated defensive backs by the end of the year. Um, Anthony Grant, you know, fumbling, put his fumbling to us to the side, played a big role in 2023. 20, so, with that. You know, Matt Rule does a great job of speaking to his team and speaking to his players through the media. Um, guarantee he's had these conversations directly with Micah Mazuka. This is nothing new. Mike is not hearing it for the first time. Um, so let's 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 let this play out over the next you know several months. Get through spring ball. Um, and just see how Micah responds um, to this. And, you know, Micah, Micah's personality is pretty um, no-nonsense, and, and I would expect him to to take that, if you want to call it criticism, and, and respond in a very favorable manner. So I, I think when it when we get to August, Micah is still a big part of this offensive line um, for the 2024 season. And uh, just just interesting comments from, from Matt Rule. And then... Kind of wrap up, wrap up this segment. Um, some some injury note news coming into spring. Um, nothing overly surprising here. Gabe Irvin with his hip, Ramir Johnson shoulder, both are out for spring ball. Um, that should create a huge opportunity for Dante Dowdell, Emmett Johnson, and Quinton Ives. I don't think there's any question. Emmett Johnson comes into the spring as the as the number one back. He earned that through the last six to eight games of 2023. Um, but Dante Dowdell is going to be a big story in in spring ball, and I'm excited about his um, his build, his, the the way he plays the game. Um, we'll see how he fits in. I, I like the combination of Emmett more as like a slasher, Dante Dowdell as a bowling ball. Um, that excites me. I, I don't know much about, we haven't seen Quentin Ives. I know the staff's really high on Quentin, so um, we'll get a good look at him this spring. Malachi Coleman, Prince Will, uh, most likely out uh, with shoulder in, shoulder surgery uh, that took place this winter. Um, Turner Corcoran out for the spring. He seems like the, the more longer term uh, injury at this point. I think Matt Rule even said he's questionable for the start of fall camp. Um, interesting piece here for Turner Corcoran. He hasn't redshirted yet. So if if this injury were to linger into the season, um, it'll be fascinating to see if he ultimately takes a redshirt and comes back in 2025. It feels like Corcoran's already been around forever. Um, but there's a path there if this, depending on how this rehab goes, that you could see him, um, red shirt and, 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 you know, you could see him on the similar as the, as the Buford route from 2023, play the last four games of the year and then get a full 2025. So something to monitor there. Um, 
And then on the positive side of the coin, it sounds like Maverick Noonan is coming along really well, um, nearly fully cleared, should be a full participant in spring ball. He had his season cut short last year with the knee injury. Um, so excited to see um, him from that edge edge position um, and uh, good to see him um, fully rehabbed and, and ready to go. So shifting to, to the quarterback, um, another um, – kind of fascinating topic from the Matt Rule press conference was just, you know, the, he talked extensively about Glenn Thomas, his history, uh, b you know, with between the two of them, um, his his recent uh, employment there at, at Pittsburgh Steelers. It sounds like that, um, you, you know, th this this whole transition from Pittsburgh to Nebraska has been in the works for several weeks, maybe even a couple months now as he finished out his obligations there at, in, in Pittsburgh. Um, we've talked about Glenn Thomas. We talked about Glenn Thomas for several weeks before it ever became official. So that that news or those nuggets didn't surprise me. Um, where what was fascinating for to me is how he talked about um, Glenn Thomas and his development historically of quarterbacks um, at at both Temple and Baylor. He even talked about his time at in Atlanta with Matt Ryan. Um, and and one thing that that was interesting to me is he how he described he wanted his QB coach to be focused on QBs and not necessarily the um, offensive coordinator as as the offensive coordinator tends to get pulled away from um, from their position group and he with with two true freshmen and, and Heinrich who is who, who's lacking experience he really he wanted and needs a, a dedicated coach with that QB room um, you know, every step of the way, which I think is good. I, I mentioned before, I'm not, I'm not down on Marcus Satterfield from a, a coordinator. Uh, I think that's an incomplete grade. Um, very clearly, he's not a quarterback coach. I don't know that anybody can watch 2023 and be totally satisfied with the quarterback play. Um, and we saw a lot of consistencies there, no matter who is behind center. So you've got to put that back on the coach at some point. So I'm, I'm excited about Glenn Thomas. His track record speaks for itself. I know he's got the um, uh, trust of both Matt Rule and Marcus Satterfield to have him dedicated to QBs. Uh, I, I, I truly expect a, a jump there from from that room. Obviously, when you add a talent like Rayola, you know that that that's that's always going to help. Um, but uh, obviously, there's much much more to quarterback than just the physicality um, and the physical traits that that come uh, with the position. So. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated with that. Glenn Thomas is actually going to speak for the first time on Monday. Uh, so I'll be interested to hear from him. Um, haven't heard from him yet as, as a member of the coaching staff. So looking, looking forward to that. And we'll certainly report back on, on next week's edition of, of what comes out of that setting. So um, looking at the 2025 QB board, not going to spend a ton of time on this, but we have been discussing this the last several weeks as it's developed in real time pretty, pretty quickly. Not a lot of movement this last week as the coaches are now off the road recruiting and we're in this dead period through February. But um, we did mention last week Madden, uh, I'm a lava. He's a 6'385 pound QB out of Warren, California. He's the younger brother of Tennessee QB Nico uh, I'm a lava, uh, who started against Iowa in, in their bowl game and then will be the full time starting, starting quarterback this season. 
Um, he's got offers from from everybody under the sun: Auburn, Cal, Colorado, Miami, Ole Miss, TCU, Tennessee. Consensus four-star, top two hundred prospect across the board. But the biggest news that came out of him is that he's com- he confirmed with multiple outlets he's looking to visit over the spring. Unsure if it'll be the weekend of the spring game or another weekend in late March, early April. But what I'm looking for with the 2025 QB recruiting is who makes it to campus. Um, and to hear that Madden is is planning his trip uh, to Lincoln, that's that's a big development. Um, and, and he's probably the most talented one that's still on the board for, for Nebraska. So with that, uh, we mentioned Matt Zoller several times. He, he received an offer a couple weeks ago out of Royster, uh, Royersford, Pennsylvania. Um, he released his top four this week, and Nebraska was not part of that. Penn State, Pitt, Missouri, Georgia. So you can probably cross him off the board. Um, but a, a familiar name maybe is popping back up on the board, and that's Stone Saunders, 6'2", 200-pound QB out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He was, this time last year, m- probably the number one target on the board for Nebraska um, before ultimately um, committing to Kentucky last summer. Um, And there's some undercurrent behind the scenes of some of the assistant coaches, one assistant coach specifically uh, that could be looking to bounce to the NFL. Um, Nebraska may be potentially circling back to Stone Saunders. And so if I was to break it down right now, I think um, Madden Amalava is probably number one. Uh, Stone Saunders is maybe a sleeper. He's still committed to Kentucky, but somebody um, to keep an eye on. Um, and then there's a couple others that are that are out there um, that worth noting. There was a new offer that came out this week to TJ Latif uh, out of Orange, California. Don't know much about him. He's another consensus four-star, but um, we'll have to see and wait wait and see how that relationship grows and develops. Because, again, what I'm looking for now is who makes it to campus in March. So February is a dead period. You're not going to see any movement over the next three or four weeks. But then ultimately, who makes it to campus uh, when that opens back up in, in March? And so uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, just to kind of wrap up football and Matt Rule's press conference, um, he did um, talk about the possibility of grabbing a fourth QB out of that spring portal. Um, and so I, I found his answer really interesting in that with three extremely young scholarship QBs, um, spring is going to provide them all to get a, a ton of individual reps and also team reps. Um, it will give the coaches an opportunity to evaluate where they're at. And then they can d- dive into into the spring portal um, if if they feel like a fourth QB is is needed. Um, he's traditionally wanted or has operated with four scholarship QBs. Um, he's done it with three in the past. I think a lot of that decision is going to come down to what what it looks like in spring. Are there at least two of the three that you feel really comfortable with going into this season? Um, because if you look historically at Nebraska. Over the last 10 years, I'm not sure we've made it a full season without having to go to the backup at, at some point and some some years three like last year. So um, obviously we'll, we'll watch spring very closely, but I wouldn't rule out that possibility. And we've talked about it in previous episodes that um, that that spring transfer portal 
situation could be pretty fascinating for for Nebraska and and something uh, to watch going forward. So that's that's football. Um, that's where we're at. We'll we'll monitor the Glenn Thomas press conference on Monday. We've got winter conditioning obviously um, going. We got mat drills that kicked off last week. So probably not a lot of news next week. Probably a slower news week, but. As always, we'll, we'll continue to monitor, and that's really where our bread and butter is, is on the football side of the athletic department. But um, with that, we should transition into some basketball. Kind of a, not kind of, it, it was a rough week for Nebraska basketball. Um, when we chatted last Saturday, we talked about the huge opportunity in front of this team. Two road games at Illinois, at Northwestern. Um, I couldn't have been more wrong in my um, projection of these two. I, I said on the podcast last Saturday that I felt the Illinois game was an awful matchup for Nebraska. The Northwestern game was much more gettable, and it couldn't have been more opposite. So the Illinois game ends just in devastating fashion, 87-84 in overtime. Uh, Nebraska's down 10 late, goes on an 11-1 run to force overtime. Uh, actually had a one-point lead with about 15 seconds to go. Um, there, there's a debate, at least in my house, whether there was a foul there at the end of regulation. I say no. Um, was there contact? Sure, but it, that's a tough call to make at the end end of a game. Uh, Illinois steps up, hits one out of two, um, go to overtime. Several 50-50 calls don't go our way, um, which don't expect on the road, and and ultimately we fall. Just would have been a massive win for this team if we could have got that one. Um, we've been somewhat critical on this podcast of Tominaga. Can't be critical of his game in Illinois. Um, went up against one of the um, toughest defenders in, in the league. Uh, drops a career-high 31. Um, just incredible movement off, off the ball. Um, was hitting everything. And, and this is what I've talked about in the past. When, when he's hot early and he was hot early, you can ride him and ride that momentum through through these games, but if he's cold at the beginning, that's where you got to pull him. And and Fred's done a fantastic job of judging that early in games and then managing the game accordingly. So um, that's Illinois. Moved to Northwestern on Wednesday night. Um, this one got ugly early. Ten minutes in, I think Northwestern had 25 points already. We were down double digits throughout. Um, just lacked defensive intensity, out-rebounded again, tons of turnovers, 17-18 turnovers. Um, really the story all season outside of Illinois and Kansas State, this team has just not figured out a way to perform and bring that same level of intensity on the road. Um, a, a lot of teams in college basketball can say that, but if this team wants to make uh, the NCAA tournament, which is the ultimate goal, uh, have to find a way to get a couple of these these road wins. So. We wrapped up this four-game stretch. Um, we've been talking about it the last couple weeks. I was really hoping we could find a way to go two and two. Uh, that didn't happen. Finished one and three. Um, obviously avoided just the awful situation of zero oh and four. Got that game against Wisconsin. Um, but as we start to think about net rankings and and bracketology, um, it it it's it's been a rough week. Um, you know, there's been several examples, but specifically, um, I'll bring up uh, Wisconsin. They've now lost four in a row, a couple of pretty bad losses, too. Um, obviously, Nebraska beat them. That, that's not a bad loss. They lost at home to Purdue. That's There's nothing nothing wrong with, with losing to the number two, number one team in the country, depending on the rankings. But uh, Wednesday night, 
at Michigan, dead last in the league. Uh, they dropped that one. And then earlier today on Saturday at Rutgers, um, lose by 22, 78-56. So not really sure what's going on there. But, you know, one of the big feathers in Nebraska's cap from an NCAA tournament perspective are there t- were their two huge home um, wins against the number one ranked Purdue, number six ranked Wisconsin, um, Purdue's going to be a top four team no matter what, so that there's nothing that's going to change there. But now Wisconsin, with four straight losses in the last two to some pretty bad teams, um, that that win is not looking as good as it once did. I guess on the positive side, Kansas State did take down Kansas, so that helps on the Kansas State side, but that's still only a quad two win. Um, and so as we pull this, or we bring this forward, um, as of Saturday morning, uh, had Nebraska in the net rankings at 57. Um, Got to figure out a way to pull that up. Joe Lenardi, ESPN, has Nebraska as 11 seed, playing Colorado State. Uh, CBS, uh, Jerry Palm has Nebraska as last four in, playing in Dayton versus Texas A&M as an 11 seed. Um, maybe we'll talk about this on future podcasts, but this is an interesting question for me. I, I'd love to hear some comments. Um or your thoughts if Nebraska goes to and, and plays in a what I'm going to call a play-in game in Dayton, um, and they let's just use this scenario and they beat Texas A&M. Do you count that as an NCAA tournament win? Is that Nebraska's first NCAA tournament win? I know officially the answer is yes. Just feels dirty to me. All right, um, for me, I I need to see them win on a Thursday or Friday um, for me to feel like it's it's a legit NCAA tournament win. So. We've got to figure out a way to to get out of that play-in-game situation. And as we look at the rest of the schedule, this is where it's um, pro and con. The pro is is we've got the easiest schedule left in, in the Big Ten. Um, we don't play another opponent above 71 in the net. Um, in fact, uh, Michigan's in the hundreds. Uh, Rutgers and Indiana and Penn State are all in the 90s. And so the pro is, is we've got seven games left. Um uh, Four at home, three on the road, um, conceivably could be favored in all seven. Um, perhaps an underdog at Ohio State just slightly. Um, here, here's how I break down this these last seven games. If we go six and one, we're in. Doesn't matter what we do in in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, five and two probably depends on the two. Um, there's a couple of landmines in here from a bad loss perspective. Any of these games at home are bad losses. Have to win all four at home. Michigan, Penn State, Minnesota, Rutgers. So five and two, I think we're still in. I would want a game in um, the Big Ten tournament to solidify that. Four and three, um, we, we, we've got to win a couple games in, in the Big Ten tournament to feel good. Anything worse than four and three, we're out. Um, four and three, and you go in the Big Ten tournament, lose game one, you're out. Maybe even game two, you're out. Um, five and two is the absolute minimum that we have to go over these last seven. And I think we would still need one or two in 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 the in the tournament. Six and one, uh, we're in. Um, six and one would include two road wins. So road games at Indiana, at Ohio State, at Michigan. No reason to lose at Indiana or at Michigan. Um, and then we've got at Ohio State. That's maybe a little bit more difficult, but they're on the they're they're sliding currently. Um, and so I, 
we're not going seven and zero. Those of us that have followed Nebraska basketball know that that um, the, the basketball gods won't allow that to happen. But figure out a way to go five and two. Figure out a way to go six and one, and let's let's solidify our um, our position in the NCAA tournament. So Michigan tonight. Let's take it one game at a time. Uh, Michigan tonight, ten and a half point favorite. Doug McDaniel, um, perhaps Michigan's best player, is out. Um, kind of an odd situation there, an academic um, suspension, if you will. He is not playing road games. Um, he is playing home games, and so should be an. Uh, nothing's easy with Nebraska basketball, but should be a pretty easy game tonight. Hopefully, I didn't just jinx us. Get this one. But then at Michigan to end the year, I'm fascinated with that. Doug McDaniel will be in the lineup there. Michigan just beat Wisconsin. Um, and so we'll continue to follow it. Obviously, it, it's a fun team. It's been enjoyable. 16-8, and 6-7 and seven overall. Um, I'm going to say we go 6-1 and one to finish this off. Uh, probably a 4, or 5, 6 seed in the Big Ten tournament. See what the matchup is there. But 6-1 um, and one is is my, my guess. So... Let's start to wrap things up. National storylines, just real quick. Want to hit on really just one big one. Uh, Friday afternoon, evening, Chip Kelly announced that he's stepping down at UCLA. He's taking the OC position at Ohio State. Um, we had talked about Chip Kelly last week, actually, where um, with some of those rumors of him going to the NFL. Um, didn't see him stepping down for a college OC job. Um, so this was an interesting move. Um, if you just start to peel back the onion a little bit, though, um, he, he, Chip Kelly, um, or I'm sorry, Ryan Day played for Chip Kelly um, um, in, in New Hampshire and um, actually coached under Chip Kelly at a few other um, stops along the way. So impacts to Nebraska, you know, potentially two levels here. Nebraska goes to Ohio State. Um, Ohio State's absolutely loaded. I don't know if it matters if Chip Kelly's there or not. I do think for Ohio State, they lucked into a, a, a fantastic hire here. I'm not a fan of Bill O'Brien, who was uh, the OC there for just a couple weeks before he took the um, Boston College job Friday. Um, and then um, UCLA comes to Lincoln in November next year, which I've always thought was a winnable game um, and, and was excited about the prospects of UCLA coming to Lincoln in November. Um, UCLA already was ranked around the 95th in returning production, and that's before the 30-day transfer window now opens up with Chip leaving. Um, UCLA's schedule is brutal, includes LSU, Oregon, Penn State, Nebraska, Washington, and USC. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see who, who takes that job. Um, PJ Fleck was an early name that came out for, um, per Brett McMurphy. I'm also going to keep an eye, I don't want to scare anybody, but I'm keeping an eye on Tony White here. Tony White, if you recall, um, played at UCLA, an alum of UCLA, I think if UCLA hired Tony White, it'd be a home run. I don't know if it's a big enough name for what UCLA is looking for, um, but keep an eye on that. Uh, I think his name's going to pop up there over the course of the next week, um, but fascinated to see where which direction UCLA goes. And then we'll wrap up Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl is tomorrow, Chiefs versus 49ers. Um, I'm going Chiefs. Chiefs 27, 49ers 21 would be my pick. 
Um, I'm just not betting against Patrick Mahomes. I'm a huge Brock Purdy fan. I don't know why he gets as much hate as he does. Um, obviously, his first Super Bowl, though, going against Patrick Mahomes. This is his fourth Super Bowl. Um, goes without saying that, that that's it. That's the biggest stage there is when it comes to um, comes to football. So um, I I I'm going Chiefs. I'm not confident in that pick. Um, let's see if if the 49ers stick to the run game. Uh, feed Christian McCaffrey, take some of the burden off of Brock Purdy. If they do that, which the Ravens failed to do, then I'd get I'd, I'd get more confident in the 49ers than the Chiefs. But it comes down to it, the game's about quarterback play, and I'm taking Patrick Mahomes um, in, in this one. So Chiefs 27, 49ers 21. Um, we'll see how bad we, we do on that when we get together next week. So with that, let's wrap up. Uh, just again, thank you for taking the time to listen. Um, if you can get us on Spotify, iTunes, uh, you can get us on YouTube, all of those at Big Red Huddle. Uh, subscribe, like, leave a review. Appreciate all the feedback. You can find us on X at Big Red Huddle. Um, so with that, we will wrap up and we will hear you or we will speak with you next weekend when we huddle up again. Go Big Red. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. 